We're here tonight with family. Some of you are seated with family, spouses, perhaps children, parents, brothers or sisters. I have with me my family tonight, my niece, who's a youth pastor's wife from Cincinnati, is with us, Tacey. Good to have you here tonight, Tacey. We're all relatives, if we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. God is our Father. And this is one big happy family we call Sailorville Church here in Des Moines. On your handout and also on the screen, you will see one of our core values described as community. You can read the definition there. God adopted me into his family, so I will share life with his children. We want to talk with you tonight about how to share life with God's children. I'm born and raised in Iowa, though most of my life I have lived elsewhere. But one of the things I've always noticed about Iowa is what we commonly, we Hawkeyes call Iowa nice. Have you heard that phrase? Iowa nice. I went out for my daily constitutional today, i.e. my daily 30-minute walk, and I walked through Prairie Trail development and down the sidewalk. And, and as I was walking, I noticed an older gent in a pickup truck drive by, and he did the Iowa nice thing. He gave me the, the farmer wave. You ever seen a farmer wave? On the wheel, he goes, that's it. That's, a, that's an art form, the Iowa wave. He's driving you got to practice that, though. Iowa Nice, the farmer wave. We are a church of perhaps 1,200 people here at Saderville. Constituency is a whole lot larger than that. And every time we come on Sunday morning, we're, we're overwhelmed by the multitude of people we see. And we probably give them some Iowa Nice. We may give them a, a farmer's wave. But... Because we feel a little bit intimidated, we don't necessarily know who they are, they don't know who we are, we, we don't dive in, and, and that can be a challenge. Um, I was asked originally to speak tonight on ministering to singles, who are a group that may sometimes feel marginalized in the life of the church, but I, I felt led of the Lord to enlarge my scope and talk to you about all the subgroups in our church who may feel marginalized, at least possibly, potentially so. Um, you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, but sometimes we fall into a, a pothole, and we feel like we're a little lower than somebody else. And I'm pretty sure that some of you feel that way on occasion. I've asked a panel to join me, these fine-looking, aren't they fine-looking people here? Yes. I've asked them to join me tonight and to share, to interact, but first I want to set the table. Let me give you a, a definition for marginalized. Uh, you, can, you can see this in, in your notes. Who are the marginalized? Those who are prevented from having attention, power, or influence, leading to their feeling disconnected. Now, churches don't intend to marginalize. We, we don't intend to disenfranchise. We don't intend to have an in-group, but 
Sometimes it feels like that to people. There's no agenda in our church to exclude anyone, but I'm sure there are many people any given Sunday, and some of you even here tonight, who feel like, I'm a little bit on the periphery of this church. I'm not really part of the in group. Did you ever get picked in school? Two people in recess had to pick teams, and you happened to get picked last or near last. Remember how that felt? Like, ah, nuts. I'm not a part of the in group. You, you can identify. We have to be conscious of those who feel marginalized. The last, the lost, the least, the locked in, the locked out, whatever L word you want to use. There are people who feel like they're marginalized. And, uh, you know, I started to write down subgroups that I thought might fit in this category. I just kept writing and writing and writing. I took it into the office and I said, can you add any more? And I found one more there. And the, the list I have here is not exhaustive, but let me just go through it very quickly. And as you're going through this with me, let me just ask you a rhetorical question. If someone, if you were to describe Salemville Church, the profile that is our church, how would you describe our church? What would it look like? Well, there's some people who would feel like maybe we're not a part of that profile, and they might potentially include, here we go with the list, single, never been married, college age, career age, middle age, older age. You see verses there that correspond from Scripture where God speaks to these folks who feel like they're disenfranchised. Then you've got the single and divorced. You've got the widow and widower. Women, as a people group, often feel sometimes shunted or stunted or pushed away. You've got the orphan, people who are in need of foster care or adoption. You've got the poor, or conversely, you might have the very rich in any given church. People avoid them like the play because, ooh, I'm not in their socioeconomic group, so we avoid the very rich. Then you've got the disabled. You've got the ethnic minority. You've got the shut-in, the nursing home resident. The elderly. There's a good, strong population of elderly folks in our church. You've got the hospitalized, the chronically ill and dying, the abused physically, sexually, emotionally, the unpopular. Were you a part of the popular group in your school? Were you a part of the in-group? Or would you say, mm, not so much? A lot of schools have various caste systems, and frankly, there are a lot of churches that have caste systems. Then you, you've got the refugee and immigrant, the grieving. Why is it that we minister to people in the week of their bereavement at the funeral and then sayonara, we don't, we don't go back in to invest during their ongoing grief. There's the suffering and the afflicted. Those are the emotionally challenged who are stigmatized. That may include people who are profoundly depressed. And then there is the children, not so much in our society, but certainly in Bible times, when the children were brought to Jesus, the disciples tried to push them away. And Jesus says, no, 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 bring them. Permit the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such are the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Now, 
obviously all these people that I've listed who may potentially feel marginalized are a part of the body of Christ, but some of them still potentially feel left out. And I'm sure that includes some of you here tonight. Now, the passage of Scripture that I want to read for you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 to 26, talks about a variety of members in the body. Let me read it quickly. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, an eye is an important part of the body, and some of you may feel like you're an eye, and somebody else says, oh, I would never be so prominent as an eye would be. The eye cannot say, however, to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Here it is. Here's a key that there may be no division in the body. We want no division, no establishing of categories in the church, no cliques, no no in-groups or out-groups, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And here's the key verse. If one member suffers, all, all, say all, all members suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Romans 12, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. So here is my panel to help us try to figure out how to take better care of one another. I'm going to ask each of them to identify themselves and to share why they have been asked to join the panel. What is the category that they're going to be addressing? Identify yourself, introduce yourself, and, and why are you up here? We'll just go right down the line here. Uh, my name is Becca Rodert, and I am recently divorced and single. I'm Marilyn Nimmers, and um, I was a widow for seven years in our church before I married Pat. I'm Jeannie Thomas, and I live with two people who are living with brain injuries. And so I am the only person in my house who's in their right mind. <laughs> and that's a really scary thought that I'm the normal one. And thank you for laughing because you have to. Humor helps. Um, my, my husband and my daughter, uh, my husband had a heart attack and stroke five years ago today. Oh, wow. And my, uh, my daughter got bacterial meningitis four years ago in April. And uh, both of them experienced strokes, and that is a brain injury. They both are considered disabled um, or differently abled, if you prefer. But they're different than they used to be. And... So they are disabled, and I'm a modified caretaker. I take care of government things, taxes, details, uh, medical things, um, and an advocate because I love these rascals. Well, my name is Curtis Johnson. Um, I walked the single road for a few years, but also got to spend a few years leading the singles group here at Salemville, and so that's why I'm, I'm up here uh, ministering to college age and young adults. My name is Lisa Johnson, 
and um, I'm up here because um, I was single for 13 years, and I know I'm married now, but if you know me at all, you know everything that I'm going to say and share, I would have shared when I was single, and I'm not just sharing it now because I'm married. How long you guys been married? A year and a half. A year and a half. So that singleness is still kind of fresh. Oh, yeah. I think it'll always okay. be a part of me. I think, I think it'll right. always be a part of me. Here's the first question I want my panel to discuss. Give us a feel for what it's like to struggle in the area you represent. Help us to walk in your shoes. You come here on a Sunday morning for a service. You work behind the scenes in the church. What's it like for you or the group that you represent? I'm going to start with Becca. Then I'm going to go to Marilyn and then to the Johnsons, and I will conclude this question with Jeannie. Becca. Um, I think primarily um, being a divorced person, um, there's a little bit of stigma still, and I would say I'm sure it's better than it was you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and I've never, ever felt judged being in this church, but, um, you know, if you're single because you lost a spouse to death, there's an acceptance there of that uh, was no fault of your own. Um, but I think with divorce, there's always that question in the back of people's heads that, you know, well, what happened? Or what went wrong? What was your role in it? What did you do? Um, and I think I probably feel that more than you do. Um, you know, you feel your own vulnerabilities. Um, but kind of feeling like I have to prove myself a little bit or maybe defend myself. Um, and so there's just that element of, of isolation, of feeling like, you know, there's, you know, you're wearing a scarlet letter because, oh, you're, you're getting divorced. Something terrible must have happened. Um, and so it's a little bit hard, especially in a bigger church. Um, you know, my, the people that I'm close to, they know my story, they know what's going on, but, you know, as you run into other people and they start to notice, like, oh, she sits alone a lot, or she's only here with kids, or, you know, those questions pop up, but you may not know me um, enough to want to come up and ask me what's going on or if I'm okay. And so there's just that awkwardness, I guess, of um, just feeling that vulnerability. Becca, how long have you been divorced? Um, I've been divorced for six months. And really, it was through no fault of your own. You did not choose this. Correct. And that pain goes deep. It does. We've had some talks. And <laughs> we, tears have been there. I that's love you, true. sister. So that fresh pain is present tonight, and our hearts go out to you. Marilyn, tell us what it's like to be a widow. To be honest, I found a lot of joy in serving my family, my church family, um, the school where my oldest, Nathan, was going to attending at the time. I, I threw my life into serving, and, and I don't want to sound, this isn't to sound spiritual, but this is what I did. I kept busy by, um, I homeschooled my kids. We, if, if the doors were open at church and we could be, ser we could help serve, or we could work, or we could minister in some way, the kids and I were there. And I guess I thought of asking the kids, if, was that such a bad thing? You know, because that was our life. 
we, when, when um, something was going on at church, be it, be it youth group, we, um, we, went we went before and we worked in Iwana, and the kids were with me. Then we stayed and helped, you know, we, um, my, I had great friends. My church family was um, a great uh, uh, support to me. In fact, the kids, that one of my kids said it was like, uh, the church family was like an extension of our family. And so for them, that was, that was their words when I asked them this, you know, that, that's how they felt. They, they, um, some, one of my kid, one of my son's friends, whenever like he, the dad was gonna do something with his kids, he would include my son or he would, or like if he was over there, I, if, you know, we happened to stop over, I saw the, the dad roughhousing with my son. You know, he really, um, he, they, they were like dads, you know, to my kids. And, um, you know, there, it would, I, I'm not saying that it wasn't hard because it is a couple's world. And um, I know, I remember the first Valentine's Day banquet after I became a widow, and you know that was the last thing I, you know, it, it it kind of broke my heart thinking I couldn't go to this, but a couple, an older couple that discipled um, my first husband and I, they invited me to come as their guest, and I said no, I don't want to go to that, and he said no, I want you to come with us. So he insisted that I come, and I had a great time, and and maybe it was because I was so, my husband and I had been such a part of that church family. That honestly, it was like my family, so I was very, very thankful for the bond that we, the kids and I had um, with our church family. And they, they loved, they loved on our, ki loved on our kids. And I always said that widow, um, I would never choose to raise my kids by myself. And so my heart goes out to you, Beckett, because you didn't choose, you didn't choose. But widow, but as a widow, I didn't have that choice. But I can choose how, but I always say I could, I could choose how I would accept the circumstances that God allowed in my life. And so that was, that was on me. I, I chose to, to honor him by um, honoring, honoring um, him by being a part of the church family. Marilyn, I want to follow up. C can you just remind us again how the Lord took your husband home in a very brief fashion. What was it he, that, that he, took him? He was diagnosed when he was a young boy with cirrhosis of the liver, and then he ended up getting a transplant, but it wasn't a good transplant. And at the age of 37, God called him home. And what was it like when, when he died? Um, to represent this group out here of widows, widowers, what, what's it like when... You're standing by the grave. Your, your dear husband talked about that recently when he lost his wife, first wife. What's, what's that like? We want to feel something of your pain for a moment. I, I think I was so caught up in my own grief, sometimes I think I forgot about my kids. Not that I didn't love and, and want them to be a part of my life, but it was kind of like I was in a fog for that first year. Um, trying to find someone's face, and it's like, it's... I, I felt like I was in a fog. I just did what I had to do, and I kept going on, but I felt like I was in a fog. And I know that's kind of maybe a weird way to explain it, but um, kind of like when, you're, when you've got a pain in your leg and you, just have, you know you just have to keep, keep taking the next step, well, that's what I did. You just kept doing, taking the next step. 
I just want to get a feel. Who here tonight is a widow or a widower? We're not here to embarrass you. I just want to see what the representation is tonight. If you're a widow or a widower, would you leave your hands up? And I give you permission to turn around, look, look around. Um, the, these represent hurting people. That hurt doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It may subside to some degree. But we need to be aware, constantly aware. Thank you, Becca and Marilyn. Uh, Lisa and Curtis, give us a feel for what it's like to be single, unmarried. Uh, as, as Marilyn said, living in a couple's world. Talk to us about that. I think um, whether you realize it or not, life is very much about the couples and the married people and the kids. And probably those of you that are married with kids probably don't realize that at all. Um, but coming to church, um, even as an extrovert and as someone with a lot of friends, it was very lonely oftentimes most Sundays, walking in by yourself. Where do you sit? Who do you sit with? Where do you belong? In a church that's so massive, um, and even with friends that are your best friends that are sitting right next to you, sometimes you can still just really just feel alone. Um, the questions, I think, sometimes are always really hard. Um, uh, why aren't you marrying? Where's the boy? Why don't you slow down? And the boy will catch up with you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I got that all the time. Um, you know, that I, I appreciated that people just wanted to know me and get to know me and ask where I was at. But the overriding question to me made it sound like, you're not quite complete yet, so where's your spouse? Like, that I was empty, that I was, I didn't have someone to complete me. Um, so that was hard. Um, and the question of, um, why don't you slow down? No, no, no. <laughs> God is able to do whatever he is able to do. And no matter if you're running super fast, no matter if you're running far from him, no matter where you're at, if you're in a church with no singles, God, God will make a way if that's what he has for you. And so um, just do what God's calling you to do and serve and, and be a part of the church and love. And um, God will meet your needs through people and through the church. And, and ultimately, you come in here and you feel, you know, I always would, you know, whatever, feel lonely. But always be challenged and encouraged to look to the one that is the only one that is always, always there and will never leave you. And that was the Lord. And... Um, I really think it, what Paul says about singleness being a gift, it, it truly is. It's, I think it's one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. Because through that, um, I learned to realize that God was more than enough for me. And so I think with the marginalized and with the people that struggle with where they're at, and I think we all to some degree struggle with that, with being marginalized and I think everybody has some form of marginalization in their life, some unfulfilled desire, unfulfilled dream, feeling like they don't fit in in some way, shape, or form. Um, so I think we're all in some way at that point, but realizing that, um, you know, we do need each other, but really we have all that we need in Christ. By extension, a category I did not list, as I've heard you talk, would be people who are childless. Infertility is a very real pain present in our church. 
We cannot overlook. We must minister to folks who suffer with an absence of a child in the home. Jeannie, I'm going to put you on here for tell us what it's like, a feel for the disabled. Both Kevin and Genevieve struggle with memory. It's like they don't have as much mental Velcro as they used to have to stick things to. Um, I repeat myself a lot. Names are especially hard. Um, now Genevieve, she wants to be social and so she moves towards conversation. And she doesn't have much of a filter. And so if she thinks it, she will probably say it. <laughs> But I know that anything she says or posts on Facebook is absolutely coming from the purest heart I know. Genevieve genuinely loves the Lord, and she genuinely loves people. Now, Kevin is quieter, and he doesn't put himself forward. Um, he has to work at making conversation. He's not always confident in what he has to say or in the words that he chooses to use. He was never loud or talkative before the stroke. He's always been a listener, but even more so now. Kevin leads our cell group, and he does a very good job at that. But he has to work harder at it now. It doesn't just come um, as easily as it did before. And I just want to give a shout out to our cell group. Our cell group rocks. They are wonderfully easy people to be with, and we're very grateful for that. Believe it or not, initially, Coffee Cove was a dividing issue in our home. What's divisive about Coffee Cove, right? Genevieve loves coffee and loves donuts and loves people. And Kevin loves coffee and loves donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and he loves people, but in some ways he feels like he doesn't do that as well. Conversation is not easy, but coffee and donuts are. And Kevin also, with the heart attack and stroke, was diagnosed as diabetic. And so I felt like we had donuts of death back there. <laughs> and I had to learn to let go of some things that I was trying to control, like what anybody else puts in their mouths. God didn't intend for me to be the food police. As my husband said, he needs a wife, not a mom. Um, and I do love seeing both of them fellowshipping with other people. Hospitality is harder now. Um, our roles have been absolutely turned upside down. We did not do this. Uh, Kevin and Genevieve are home, and I'm at work. And, um, you know, I had a really good system honed for over 30 years of how you do stuff. And it's very unrealistic to expect that Kevin's going to jump in there and do the same things in the same way that took me decades to figure out. And it's also unrealistic to expect that I am going to do the same things to the same degree as I did before now that I'm not home. So things are just harder. Um, I was the initiator of our social calendar, and I'm tired. I love people. I love to fellowship. I actually love to cook, to make yummy food and have people enjoy that. That's fantastic. I love to speak when I get asked. I love to teach. I enjoy meeting with women in a mentoring or counseling capacity. And I don't have a brain injury. But I do have more responsibilities now and more demands on my time and energy. So we're still struggling 
five years later, trying to figure out all of that balance. For those who don't know, Kevin's right down here. Be careful I don't get too emotional. Kevin held my position before I came. I love this dear brother, but I can feel his pain. When you're a pastoral staff member, like it or not, part of your identity comes from being able to minister. He can't in the same way. We love you, Kevin. I know that's hard, but God bless you. To my final question, what are some ways that the church can show concern, be genuinely inclusive of the people you represent, and, and maybe what are some things you can do to, to mainstream yourself? Jeannie, I'm going to start with you this time. Um, and I want to tell you ways that this church has done this for us. Um, reach out first. Don't assume that others are doing it. Ask folks to get together in your home, in their home. Ask if you can bring over Casey's Pizza or donuts or in a restaurant. Look for people whose lives don't look like yours. Be generous and merciful in your attitudes. Hey, everybody's a little crazy in their own way. <laughs> Show patience. Ask God to give you eyes to see the unseen, the overlooked. And don't ignore what you see. If you think about the analogy of the church as a body, how long do you think any part of the body can survive if it is forgotten, neglected, even unintentionally, or ignored? Don't assume people are okay, even if they say they are. Speak life. Speak hope. Tell them where you see God at work in and through them. Be persistent in trying to connect. Give people the gift of your presence. We had friends who were absolutely tenacious in pursuing our friendship and maintaining it. And had they not been, I think we would have lost it. I'm grateful that we were at Sailorville when our life changed. The church has been awesome to us. We've been here over 30 years. Kevin was on staff for 14. We had connections. And I think people felt like they could speak into our lives or ask us questions. The church served us. I think this would have been much harder going into a new place where nobody knew us and where we weren't already invested in people's lives. I don't feel like we have been left out but sometimes I do feel like we're having to work really hard to catch up. Marilyn, you kind of entered into this earlier with some of your comments. Can you elaborate some more? What are some ways we can be inclusive of folks who are widows or widowers? And maybe what are some things we can do as widows and widowers, to mainstream ourselves. First of all, pray, P-R-A-Y. I remember knowing that the church family was praying for the kids and I. And I remember back then, that was 30 years ago, um, the kid, there, we would have like a bulletin like we have in the back, and it, it would list people to pray for. 
And I remember it always say, Marilyn and the kids, Marilyn and the kids. And this went on for months. And I, so I saw, you know, I just knew people were praying for us. But you, but I remember the very first Sunday, I didn't see our name in the bulletin. And I thought, they aren't going to pray for us anymore. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. But I, I know that's not right. And, you know, it's because of what we, I went through that, you know, um, I, I'm thankful that God's ways are higher than mine. And, I, and I'm thankful for what God allowed me to go through. Would I choose that? Would any of us choose what we went through? No, but God's used it for his glory. He's made me a more compassionate person. So when I see widows here, I hug them. Because I remember there was a gentleman in our church that he and his wife had been in our Bible study for years. Then God called his wife home to be with the Lord. And then every Sunday after I became a widow, he would come and find me. And he'd come alongside me and give me a hug. And he'd talk to the kids. But every Sunday, he would come for me, come and look for me. He had a job at the church. He, he, like, made tapes and stuff. But every Sunday, he would come out of the office and look for me and give me a hug. <laughs> and I came to look and appreciate and really was so thankful and blessed by that hug every Sunday. So if I see a widow or if I see somebody standing by themselves, I give them a hug because I know how God used that in my life. And, you know, um, the scripture tells us that we have a responsibility to look after the widows and, and, the, and the widowers. And so um, it's not just something that we should do. We're, God tells us in his word that we should. And be an example or doing what is good or right and bringing glory to the Lord. That's what I, wanted, that's what I think we should be doing more of being that example. And God honors an obedient heart. Thank you, Marilyn. Curtis and Lisa. Curtis, I'll start with you this time, and then we'll pass the mic on to your wife, and then we'll come back to Becca after that. <clears throat> um, this just came to my mind as I was thinking about, I used to, in our group, in our singles group, I used to have this really long rope, and Francis Chan made this analogy famous a long time ago, way before me. But I would, and it's interesting to think too, I think we had a divorced person and I worked with Genevieve. We worked with multiple people who had mental illness and how that, that, that group just created almost this group right here. Um, very dynamic group. But I would pull this rope out that would just stretch for forever to forever. And um, I would challenge the single and myself because this was my own pride and my own heart coming out. We're so focused on right here, right now, and we don't see what God wants to do in the future. Francis Chan would, would wrap pieces of tape around the rope and he would say, you know, we've made it to marriage. Now, now, now the next hoop is uh, our retirement, how, how, what, what we want to retire with, what's successful retirement all along completely missing eternity as the rope goes on and on and on. And I think, when I think back to my singleness, when I think back to talking with my wife about our singleness and hers, just encouraging, note noticing, um, hugging, saying hello, but also encouraging them to serve. Get outside of, of yourself. The heart is desperately wicked, and, and a way that the Lord wants to use that in singleness is pride. 
and to come and to sit and to be served and not to serve. And if you're single out there, if you're a young adult, even that maybe is married, but figuring out life, just how God grew me the most was, was pushing me out of my comfort zone to serve and uh, encourage, encourage those that you know to just serve with them. Take, your, take their arm and say, let's go do this together because that is what is going to change their heart the most. Um, I would say um, just get rid of the labels altogether. <laughs> We're all uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we stand before God alone. We don't stand, I don't stand before God with Curtis. Um, I stand before God alone, and, and so I'm responsible for my life and how I live my life for Christ. But to not look at others as married or young married or empty nester or widow or divorced or whatever, but as a child of God, as a person that you can be a friend to. And I just would encourage everyone to just be a friend to someone outside of your circle, your tribe, <laughs> as kind of pastor was talking about earlier, outside of the people that are the your young marrieds or your um, married with kids. Find people in all of those walks of life and get to know them. The best way to do that is just to go out to coffee with them and to ask them questions and to listen when you ask the questions. Um, I remember one of the most powerful illustrations in my life um, was walking through a young widow that um, in this church that um, became widowed very suddenly and I didn't know how to befriend her, um, but I just felt drawn to it and just sat down with her over coffee and it became one of the sweetest friendships in my life. Um, just really challenged me and really showed me life beyond my circumstance, but to be challenged at where she was at, to be challenged how to love someone that was in a circumstance that I just couldn't understand. And to also find common ground that what we both really needed was more of Jesus and that really he was our greatest comfort and he was um, the bond that drew us together. So. I guess that would be just my encouragement to you guys is just look past the labels and then just really dive into relationships with other people outside your own circles and get to know them. Thank you. A good way in our church to connect to mainstream is to get involved in cell groups. And not just with your own age, but multiplicity of ages, cell groups. Becca, my sister, uh, give us some, some insights how we can show concern, uh, some things that you all can do to mainstream. Give us some insights. Um, I mean, gosh, these guys all hit it pretty well. But um, Lisa touched on it earlier, how lonely it can be um, as a single person to walk into this huge auditorium. And even, I mean, Lisa, you know almost everyone here. I know so many people in this church. But there's an element of walking in and just being like, oh, okay, I have to put myself out there to sit with somebody. And it's easier to just sit alone. And so, not for me specifically, but... It, as you're coming in, if you notice people sitting alone, I mean, you have no idea how much you would make their day or just ease that discomfort to befriend them and sit with them. Um, you know, I remember the first time I sat in church actually um, before I was divorced and my husband was working um, and I didn't know anyone. And um, I don't know if she actually knows this, but Brooke Porter sat next to me and just kind of leaned over and opened up her Bible. And it was just it made so much difference in how welcome I felt in the church. Um, and another thing that I have identified over the last couple of months is it's, this church has surrounded me with love and support. Um, but it's also easy to um, kind of handle people with kid gloves when you know that they're going through a lot. And there's absolutely a place for that. 
Um, but as someone who has lost my spouse, I've also lost somebody um, to be an accountability partner, to, um, to keep me accountable, to show me tough love. And, um, and so I think that's something, as a single person, you need that from your church family because it's really easy to be like, you know what, I'm alone and nobody's going to know, nobody's going to care if I lay in bed and do nothing today or if I eat all the food or if I go off and live a sinful life. Um, and so there's an element of there's absolutely a place for just unconditional love and concern. There's also a place for that tough love and being willing to ask the hard questions um, and just hold people accountable. Um, I think that's the big things. <laughs> Can we give these folks a round of applause for their wonderful ministry? Thank you so much. I'd like to pray for you for us as we dismiss. And then I have an assignment for you. It starts immediately. I want you to talk to somebody you don't normally talk to, maybe somebody you don't know. And if you determine that they are a marginalized person or perceive themselves to be, would you pray for them on the spot here tonight? And when you come next Sunday morning, would you look through the lens of somebody who is new, like who looks like they're lost, who looks like a deer in the headlights, who needs some direction? We all need to be a committee of one that reaches out to those who feel like they're on the outside but want to be on the in. Because there's only one family, the family of God. And as I said earlier, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Lord, help us to have eyes wide open, ears wide open, to be your hands and your feet, to be Jesus to people who are feeling weird, like they're marginalized, they're disenfranchised. Lord, help us to be a compassionate church. Thank you for the church we do have. I just praise you for all the wonderful people, the wonderful things that are happening. I pray you administer the folks here on the platform. Encourage them and bless them and their respective families and the people groups they represent here tonight. And for our entire congregation, help us to show the love of Christ starting right now in Jesus' name. Amen.